and the internet said, I'm not going to follow Dr. Vanderbilt, you go and have the operation. I did have an operation I of the, the pelvic. When I had the operation, after the operation, I looked at my stomach and I saw that my right side is full. I could not urinate. I told my gynecologist, I cannot urinate. He said, that's in your head. There is nothing wrong. I didn't know what he had done. I said, what did you do? He said, I removed the ovarian cyst and I removed the right ovary. And I did hysterectomy. I said, but there is nothing wrong with me. He said, yes, you were bleeding. And the American courts are corrupted. And if you are not a millionaire, the courts are not for you. The courts are for the rich. The rich doctors, the rich insurances. I told my attorney, why don't you defend me? And he looked at me and said, because you are nothing. You are a woman. These are six men doctors. She's a woman, you know how women are. They complain for something that does not exist. And you are nothing. And he kept repeating, nothing. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, and in this episode of Medical Error Interviews, I chat with 79-year-old author Elsie Saba about her misdiagnosis of an ovarian tumor and subsequent surgery to remove the tumor and her ovary, and to Elsie's surprise, the surgeon also took out her uterus. But Elsie didn't have an ovarian tumor, and the surgeon didn't take out her ovary. But what the surgeon did do was leave Elsie in immense pain, an inability to urinate, falsified her medical records, and then told her it was all in her head. As you will hear, Elsie is a fighter and wants to warn others about the dangers within the medical industry and has penned a book about her medical experiences. She has titled it, Tell the World of Doctors, Death Traps, Deceit, and a License to Kill. You can support the podcast by subscribing on any of the podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, you can also leave a kind comment, please. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a podcast patron. 
Are you dealing with the effects of a medical error or living with chronic illness? Do you need the support of an experienced counselor? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with Elsie Saba and a word of caution, some people may be triggered by Elsie's experience with the healthcare system. My name is Elsie Blanche Saba. So Elsie, I don't know hardly anything about your story, but let's start towards the beginning of your life. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I was born in Nazareth. In, right now, Nazareth is in Israel. But when I was born, it was Nazareth, Palestine. When I was two months old, my mother went to Egypt. My father was working as an archaeological photographer with Princeton University in Egypt for several years. After that, the University of Princeton transferred us to Antioch to do the excavational work of the Romans. I was with, with my parents all the time, except I was in private school because my mother traveled with my father. After that, after several years in Antioch, I was exposed to all the Roman antiquities as well as in, in Egypt. So I had to study all the civilizations in that area. After that, the Second World, World War started and Princeton University closed uh, the, you know, the company. And then my parents moved me and my family to Haifa, Palestine, which is Israel. We lived in Haifa until the German bombs over the refinery so my parents moved to Nazareth where we were born because Nazareth was mostly Christians full of nuns and priests, Catholic priests. My parents put me in Jerusalem in Schmidt's College. I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, until 10th grade in, a, in the boarding school with the German nuns. When the war got very bad, then the, the college closed the doors and the nuns sent all the, all the students back home. So I went back to Nazareth and my parents hired French nuns to educate me to finish my high school. When I finished my high school, I told my parents I wanted to smuggle myself to the American University Beirut, Lebanon. My father said, no, you will be killed on the mountains. I said, no, I want to go. So finally, they, my parents hired a smuggler with his sister to take me from Nazareth on foot to Beirut in Lebanon. I went four times back and forth because I had the Israeli citizenship right now. When I went on the mountains four times, 
going to the college and back again to Nazareth, summertime, then back again, then again, four times. The Israeli soldiers, when you read my book, they showed me, they saw my legs bleeding from the rocks, you know, for 10 hours walking. They didn't hurt me. The Lebanese soldiers, they didn't hurt me. They helped me to go to college. My name was honored by everyone. I was the only woman who, a young woman, who wanted education that way on my foot. So I went there, and after I graduated from the Beirut College for Women, which is part of the American University, when I went back to Nazareth the first time, it was very, it became very dangerous to cross the Israeli and the Lebanese firing lines. So what I did, I stayed in Nazareth until 1955. I came to the U.S. and I went to Kalamazoo University and graduated from there with my master's degree. In 1962, I was, I won the National Travel Awards. And then in 1964, I won the Fulbright in Paris, France. When I went there, to Paris, France, with 20 other teachers from the United States. I was the only one from San Diego. After that, well, during that time, I was teaching at Crawford High School, San Diego City Schools. In 1972, while I was helping my 39 students going around and helping them individually, I fell on the floor. And then right away, they told me to go to my internist. My internist took the x-ray of my anchor and my back and nothing else. I kept telling him, I am having severe pain. He said, it will go away. Then I started bleeding, bleeding heavily. He said, I will send you to the gynecologist whom I knew for 15 years through my teacher friends. I went to him and he said, you have an ovarian cyst and I, an orange-sized ovarian cyst, and I need to operate right away. I told him, no, I want an IVP because in my heart and my signals were telling me I had problem in my right kidney. He would not listen. I went back to the internist. I told him I want another consultation. I went to Dr. Vanderberg, and Vanderberg, Dr. Vanderberg said, Elsie is right. She should have an IVP because I don't feel that she has an ovarian cyst. What is an IVT? Uh, IVP, P, oh. Latin pony. IVP is X-ray of the kidneys. Okay. IVP, X-ray of the kidneys. My intern is Dr. Ernest Pond, P-U-N-D, 
He is a prominent doctor. I knew him for many years through my parents and myself. He said, no. I still remember standing in his office begging him to send me to take IVP. I knew in my heart it's a signal. I knew it that I had something in my right kidney. He said, no, you follow. I am the, the gynecologist said, I am not going to send you for IVP. And the internist said, I'm not going to follow Dr. Vanderberg. You go and have the operation. I did have an operation I, of the, the pelvic. When I had the operation, after the operation, I looked at my stomach and I saw that my right side is full. I could not urinate. I told my gynecologist, I cannot urinate. He said, that's in your head. There is nothing wrong. I didn't know what he had done. I said, what did you do? He said, I removed the ovarian cyst and I removed the right ovary. And I did hysterectomy. I said, but there is nothing wrong with me. He said, yes, you were bleeding. For three months, I was crying, going from one doctor to another, to the internist, to the gynecologist. And the gynecologist examined me many times, and he said, everything is all right. And the internist said, I am not going to sign your school sick leave card. You go back to your high school, Patrick Henry. I said, Dr. Pond, I am sick. I cannot urinate. He said, no, you have to go. I said, okay. I sent a note to the principal and I told him in three days I'd be in school. For some reason, I kept asking God to help me. I was crying. I said, God, how can I go? I cannot urinate. I am bloated. And then the internist said, Elsie, we will compromise. I will send you to the gynecologist. I will write a note and tell him to send you to the IVP for the kidney uh, X-ray. I said, why did you send me? He said, no. The gynecologist, I do not want to be involved. I went to the gynecologist right away on the same day. And when he saw the note, he couldn't say no. Immediately, I went to the Hoya Radiology, which is a very good x-ray department. And then they said, don't go to school, Elsie. We will get in touch with your doctor. They got in touch with my gynecologist. And the gynecologist sent me to Dr. Wisin, and it's in my book, his name. And when I went to him, he's a urologist, he said, we have to explore another operation and find out what's wrong with you. And he said that my parents said no. They said, this is, we don't want somebody to explore. Go to Dr. Uh, the, the internist, Dr. Pond, has a good, his partner, Dr. John Carson. Dr. John Carson 
said, go to Dr. John Steele, S-C-E-E-L. He is a very good urologist, and he is his urologist. I went to Dr. Steele. He took the IVP and said, you have obstruction in the utero-pelvic obstruction, and you were born by that. I said, how was I born? I went on the mountains four times, hours, and I was in excellent health. He said to me, because the nerves of the right kidney are pressing on the ureter and causing the obstruction. It's in my book. You know, the medical terms are in my book. After that, he said, right away, you go to the hospital. And the hospital is the best in San Diego. It is Scripps Memorial Hospital in La Jolla. I was operated on. When I woke up from the anesthesia, I could not move my hands. I could not move my arms. I could not move my legs. I could not breathe. I was dying. My parents who came to help, uh, to visit me, and then because of the war, between Israel and the, the Medit, you know, the other Arab countries, I told them stay here, and if you later on you decide to go back, so they left everything, our home and everything, and came. So my my parents hired three nurses, private nurses to take care of me in the hospital. The hospital hired three nurses on my account, not insurance, nothing. My parents and I had to pay for it. The evening nurse was excellent, but they gave me blood transfusion, but I could not believe them. I was still very, very sick. So what happened when Dr. Panda internist came to see me every day, I said, Dr. Panda, I don't believe you. I did not have an ovarian cyst. What have they done to me? He said, I saw the ovarian cyst and I saw the ovary was removed. I did not believe him. Afterwards, the urologist put the drainage tube in me. And I said, why? He said, because you were born with the kidney nerves pressing in that area. It's in the book. I, I can't uh, remember. I remember, but I cannot pronounce the names of the of the nerves is in the book. So what happened afterwards, after he kept me with the drainage tube, I was harassed by the school because my classes were full of troublemakers. It's in my book. It is. It has the highest criminals in the school from uh, busing. So what happened? They wanted me to go back. I, I said I could not. So I called the teachers association and they came and they saw me and they stopped the principal, the vice principal. She was a, a monster. She wanted me to do work when I had the drainage tube in me and was very sick. 
four days after that, when I came home, I was crying. I was so sick. And this, I will never forget it. My belief in God has tripled at one o'clock. All of a sudden, I could not call my mother to help me on October 17. Four days after the surgery, I could not move. I could not ask for help, nothing. All what I saw, a beaming light, strong light, and my stomach was opened and I saw a circle round my uterupelvic obstruction. I knew that was the cause of my surgery. I told my parents and my parents, my father said he knew it, but he could not prove it. I went from one doctor to another, telling them, this is where it hurts. And they said, it's all in your head. Nobody will help me. Then I had to go to school. I went to school. I pressed on my lower abdomen and was in severe pain. I went to Dr. Pond, the internist. He was not there. I saw his partner, Dr. Carmichael, who is well-known doctor at Scripps and UCSD. I said, Dr. Carmichael, help me. I am hurting in my lower abdomen. I can't help you. Go and ask and find out. I cannot help you. I don't want to be involved. So he didn't. I went to Stanford after I gave up, after I went to so many doctors in San Diego, Los Angeles, UCA, Stanford, Ohio Clinic, uh, Beverly Hills, and name it, and nobody will help me. I wrote down in my book to all the people, I wrote letters to senators, to the medical uh, profession. Nobody wanted to be involved or they say we don't have enough money in order to investigate. I was left without a doctor. I was on my own. I used to get high temperature because I, they gave me the bungalow in the school and the bungalow temperature was 32 degrees in the morning. My students and I asked the custodian to turn on the heater early morning, but they would not listen. So my temperature was high. I'll come home and I'll cry. I cannot move my arms. I, I am just dead. Finally, one evening at night, in the middle of the night, around 12 midnight, a little bit later, I heard a voice in my sleep telling me, go to Dr. DeBakey. Michael DeBakey in Houston, Texas. Now this, after I went to Stanford, and Dr. Stamey over there at Stanford, he said to me, you will never get anything from us. We do not want to be involved. So nobody wanted to help me. UCLA, Stanford, Beverly Hills, 
Nobody wanted to, to help me. I went to the attorneys, and one attorney, through the teachers' association, gave me a name of an attorney. I said, my insurances are not paying anything because my medical file has been falsified to the point no x-rays, nothing. So I hired him. At the beginning, he was all right. At the end, he said to me, over the statute of limitations, I filed it over the, the right time. Then he said to me, after the judge, because the defendant kept postponing, postponing the hearing day for eight years. After that, in the, the judge would not let me submit any documents from Dr. DeBakey from Houston, Texas, and Dr. Scardino that I did not know and my case is filed on time within the statute of limitation. And the judge said, no, I am not going to let you go through the court, to the, uh, to the real hearing. I told my attorney, why don't you defend me? And he looked at me and said, because you are nothing. You are a woman. These are six men doctors. She's a woman. You know how women are. They complain for something that does not exist. And you are nothing. And he kept repeating, nothing. So after that, I stayed without a doctor. I started getting med when I got the high temp fever, my father will give will share some of the medication and if a teacher will get me doxycycline antibiotics from Tijuana in order to survive. So I kept in correspondence with Dr. Debeke, because when I went to Dr. Debeke in December 79, they, he left me, he kept me two weeks and a half in the hospital, taking all the tests that they, think, that they thought I should take. And every record, should go through his office. He was protecting me with Dr. Scardino, the urologist. The finding, I still have the ovary until up to this date. I was giving, uh, hysterectomy was unnecessary. Ovarian cysts did not exist. I did not have it. And in the court, the defendant's attorneys said that my ovary, my right ovary has been taken out. I still have the ovary. I had the x-ray of the ovary from Beverly Hill Radiology. That judge would not let me submit it. He would not let me submit Dr. DeBake's uh, finding. In Houston, Dr. DeBake and Scardino sent me a, the report, which is in my book. I still have the ovary. My right kidney is still working but there is a minor damage to it because from the obstruction, you should 
never take antibiotics with Dr. Steele from Scripps. He drugged me with toxic drugs because the drugs made me very sick. When I went to Houston, the neurologist said the obstruction caused damage to your right kidney. There was nothing wrong with your right kidney. And the medication they gave you, telling you that you have infection, you did not have any infection at any time. And one doctor told me in San Diego, Dr. Dillon, he said to me, Dr. This is from the state compensation. He said to me, Dr. Steele put it there. He's a liar. And I had it in my book. But he will not help me. He said, we do not want to be involved. It's a very scandalous case. And it is horrible. And he said he has never heard of any case like that. To be drugged with toxic drugs when I did not need it to tell me I had infection. I had a staph infection when I did not have a staph infection. I did not have any infection at any time. Stanford examined my urine, no infection. Beverly Hills, no infection. UCLA, no infection. And that went on in the 80s and 90s. No infection. So Dr. DeBakey died in the early 90s. Before he died, I went back to him to repeat the test. The test, Dr. Scardino, the urologist, told me that the tests are the same like he wrote it down as 79. And he said, but you need to be checked out. You need to have MR, MRI. You need to have every year X-ray of the kidneys. The neurologist, Dr. Steele, when he heard, I told, I made a mistake by telling Dr. Pond, the internist, that I am going back to Dr. DeBakey in 81. He went and he told Dr. Carson, and Dr. Carson is a friend of Dr. Steele. Dr. Steele called, he called Dr. Erickson, the neurologist over there, the nurse told me, and told him, don't give Elsie the true fact. Falsified her record. When the nurse told me, the night before, I dreamt and I saw Dr. Carson and Dr. Steele pushing me over a cliff, but I did not fall. I managed to escape. In the morning, I said, God is reaching me to tell me that they are after to kill me. At 10 p.m. on that day, I called the taxi, took my suitcase, and sneaked out of the hospital without seeing anybody and went to the hotel. And it's in my book, too. And I put also the evidence there. And in the morning, I took the plane and flew back to San Diego.
I said from that point on, no doctor. Pain being alone uh, until after 12 years from that time, I saw a doctor. I met him, Dr. John Marino. I told him to help me after school because my temperature was 103. I was boiling, I was hurting. He gave me antibiotics at the beginning. He didn't tell me why. I told him, I'm going to give you Dr. Marino all the result of the test of Dr. DeBakey. You don't have to tell me. You just follow the recommendation. He said, we will do that. I stayed with him and he was examining me all the time until he retired in 2016, few years ago. When he retired, I had no doctor. Up to now, I have nobody. I tried. When I get temperature, I left my job because I can't. The urination, my legs, my back, I mean, they destroyed the nerves in my back. Because Dr. Steele, instead of doing the operation from where God gave it, showed me the circle in my lower abdomen, he did it from the back, way up in the back, going through the nerves and destroying my sciatica. That's why I cannot walk nowadays. If he did the operation from down at the lower abdomen, you will be walking, you will be running now. I am on the walker now. And my life is, is unknown. I don't know, but I'm trying to do as much as I can. Finally, I said, God, you helped me. You showed me what's wrong with me and you did not let me die. I am going to write my book as a, as a warning to the people. Going to prominent doctors does not mean that they are honest. Going to the best hospital does not mean that they are honest. Many of the doctors in Texas told me, you have to let people know about your story, how they drugged you for many years with drugs to destroy more of my right kidney. Now, I don't have a doctor. Finally, somebody told me about, you know, the nurses who come to the house to help. So I have a nurse right now. Once a month she comes to renew my medication which my father started on. And when I get temperature, she will write me the prescription. But when John Marino retired, I had nobody. And now I'm facing it that I will never get help in the United States because of my falsified medical file. I want to send some copies, copies to the Congress, to some of the women. In my book I wrote, people wake up, you have to pass in the Congress, a policy, the law, 
You cannot falsify medical records. You cannot prevent other doctors from helping people, innocent people like me. You cannot do that. The law has to be changed. Now, if you get hurt, nobody will help you. Nobody, wherever you go. And the American courts are corrupted. And if you are not a millionaire, the courts are not for you. The courts are for the rich, the rich doctors, the rich insurances. I was faced with thousands of dollars to pay. My insurances, who took premiums from me, did not help me. Why? My medical records was falsified. And Judge Donald Smith, who was a judge, he, he was a terrible judge who stood in my way. I don't know. My ex-attorney said that maybe he was bribed. I sued six doctors. I sued them uh, all what I want. I didn't want their money. All what I wanted is to straighten my medical record so I can get some help. Now, the six doctors, God punished some of them. Some of them are not, are not alive now. And Dr. Steele, one nurse told me that after I don't know how many years after he did my surgery, he did something very scandalous. And uh, the board, the, the, the medical board terminated his license, but I have no idea what happened to them. All what I know, I have no contact with them. And then, why didn't I write my book before? I did not write my book because I keep falling. I broke my left hip when I fell. I broke my ribs twice when I fell. I hurt my liver a few years ago when I fell. When I went on the mountains four times, going to the college and back again to Nazareth, on my way, I met a Catholic priest in Israel, Father Michael. He looked at me and he said, What's your name? I said, my name is Elsie. He said, may I read your chart? I said, why? He said, I am a psychic. And I found out he is the best psychic in the Middle East, in the, in the Israeli you know, place, and from Italy. He read my chart. He told me that in my life, in my prime time, in the middle of my age, I will be going through a severe operation, and he told me where in my lower abdomen. I said, come on, Father Michael, are you sure? He said, yes. He said, you are going to die for a few seconds, but God will bring you back and you are going to make it. So when I was in the hospital, I kept saying, God, help me. What helped me was Father Michael, because he told me I was going to live. Hold on, Elsie, he said. Don't give up. Don't give up. And I did. Up to now, every word he told me is true. 
Then he said at the end, you are going to write a book about your experience. And the book is going to be published from course to course. It's going to be heard by many, many people, many. And your book is going to change a few things in the medical profession. So I know in my heart that Father Michael, up to now, everything he told me came true. I published the book. I paid for the book. I saved little money here and there and paid for it. I want to help people. I want to tell them, if somebody tells you you are crazy, don't believe it. Believe yourself. And that is my story. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Elsie. It is really an incredible story. and. Uh, it really speaks to your resilience to having survived it. Um, and I really do hope the rest of the uh, prediction from that psychic comes to fruition and that a lot of people uh, become aware of your story and your book. Well, a big thank you to Elsie Saba for sharing her experience and demonstrating that it is never too late to speak out against medical harm. You can buy Elsie's book on Amazon or through her publisher, Outskirt Press. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Go to patreon.com slash medical air interviews to become a podcast patron. And if you need a counselor for your own experience with medical air or living with a chronic illness or LGBT issues or any of life's challenges, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others.